relief factor, pain relief that's natural, pain relief that works, and pain relief that attacks the source of the pain. That's the experience of tens of thousands of Americans who are taking Relief Factor right now. See their incredible video endorsements at relieffactor.com and then order your three-week quick starter pack for just $19.95. That's less than a dollar a day. Find out if it can work for you like it works for me by ordering your three-week quick starter pack today. Relieffactor.com, relieffactor.com. Be the next success story. Welcome, dear friends. You're listening to America First one-on-one. What is a honey badger? I have a honey badger gun. It's one of the coolest weapons made in America, in New Hampshire, actually. But originally, it was an animal that I was unaware with until I started working for a certain iconoclastic individual called Stephen K. Bannon, who is known amongst the uh, those of the Shire, the Hobbits, as the honey badger. Let's show the world what a honey badger looks like. This is the honey badger. And there's a phrase I have to edit for the FCC. The honey badger don't give a beep. And that really could be the motto of the man who is described as the honey badger, my former boss at Breitbart, my former boss in the White House, chief strategist to President Trump in the West Wing. Stephen K. Bannon, welcome to America First. Honored to be on my deputy's show. <laughs> Nicely done. When did you get the moniker Honey Badger? I'm curious. Who, who, who christened you Honey Badger? It's when that video came out. I don't know. Somebody. I oh, think of, was, of the Honey Badger being bitten by the, the snake. Video, the video Honey Badger. That was a seven minute one. Host <laughs> Somebody said it. I think it was around the time Bloomberg. Bloomberg did a cover story on me back in, I think, 14. Said the most dangerous man in America or something. Most dangerous political operative. About Breitbart, and uh, I think it was in uh, during that time. All right, guys, you got you got to go online. You got to find the video. The honey badger is famous for being basically immune to all venom, and it's bitten by a cobra twenty seven times, and just takes a little nap, and then wakes up about ten minutes later, shakes himself off, and goes back to what it was doing. It's also not the smartest. It's not the most smartest animal in the animal kingdom, but it's, it's most, probably the toughest. It's, it's probably the toughest. So just take it's it. Just, the most relentless. Let's say this: the honey badger will never give up. Yeah, yeah. Take, just take the compliment. All right, we, we want to invite you to talk about the Manhood Hour, which is our uh, weekly um, analysis of the, the war on Western civilization, especially the, the masculine aspects of Western civilization. But first, we've got to talk politics because of the war room and everything that you've done. Um, so first things first, a little cut of you that went viral from the war room a few days ago. Play cut. Also, I want to make sure the audience, don't, we, we, I, have, I expressed them a little bit on John Frederick's today. There's a lot to talk about about the RNC. So just take, I understand you guys are still worked up. Whatever you do, don't send them any money. Just take a deep breath. There's going to be a program and a plan for all of it. Just just take a deep breath. But what happened in Maine and what happened in Arizona are quite important to taking back these state parties, the precinct strategy, all of it. So Rona's back in. She says she's not going to run again, so she's back there for a couple of years. You said, don't give them any money. We have a plan. When people call into my show saying, should I give money to the GOP? I say, no, never. Give it either to President Trump's PAC or give it to individual ca- uh, candidates. Can you, you just teased all of the War Room listeners. What's the plan, Steve? We want to know. The plan is, here's, here's what I know. This is not about Rana. Uh, it is about something deeper than that. I think uh, I had the opportunity to actually sit through and see the and watch um, the entire 
event on Friday. We took a bunch of time and watched it because, you know, Pete Carolyn Wren was there and Mike. Well, you, you, you had people there, right? You had people at the, at the RNC in California. But then I watched it on, I watched the C-SPAN. I just saw the committee and it, it just, it's nothing. It's student council. If you remember back to your, of course, you were schooled in, in England, uh, Seb, but here for folks in the United States that went to like junior high school or high school, it was student council meets the theater club. <laughs> It, it's not it's not it's not serious. They're not serious people. The whole thing's a joke. And I think everybody just full stop. Just don't hit them with any money, particularly on the small donors, the small donors or anything. And there's a plan of several people or other things are come up. And I think give alternatives to that. Some combination of I don't know, state the, the, things are being worked on, but they are not worthy of your money. That Let me just be blunt. And this has nothing to do with Rana. It's it's much more systemic. Yeah. At yeah. first, I thought, you, 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 were, you know, if Rana gets removed or if, you know, Harmeet gets in or Mike Lindell gets in, it's it's much more systemic than that. And this was if people should just go back and watch the don't take my word for it. You know, this weekend, leisurely at night, <laughs> replay the uh, what happened at Dana Point for a couple of hours. You can see these committee reports and everything. It's just a joke. It's it's not worthy of one's time. All right. And All right. Uh, and we got it. We got to sort it out. All right, two big issues I want to talk to you about before we get to the uh, the civilizational questions. Uh, one, a bone I wish to pick with you about personnel policies and what we're going to do in 24. But first, the seminal, I think the thing that defines Bannon for me most is what you said to CPAC once we'd taken over the White House. And, and this was the kind of the red pilling of all patriots. And this clip is still true and needs to be played every single day. Roll video. Here's why it's going to get worse, because he's going to continue to press his agenda. And as economic conditions get better, as more jobs get better, they're going to continue to fight. If you think they're going to give you your country back without a fight, you are sadly mistaken. Every day, every day it is going to be a fight. And that is what I'm proudest about Donald Trump. All the opportunities he had to waver off this. All the people have come to him and said, oh, you got to moderate. Every day in the Oval Office, he tells Reince and I, I committed this to the American people. I promised this when I ran, and I'm going to deliver on this. They're not going to give you back America without a fight. The elite, the uniparty, the deep state without a fight. Steve, um, since you gave that speech... Things have qualitatively and quantitatively gotten worse. We look at 2020. We look at the assault on you, Navarro, Cash Patel, the deep state, DOJ, FBI, the raid at Mar-a-Lago. Uh, can you give us the sit rep as a former naval officer, the gradations of how worse it has become since you gave that warning to America? I would actually disagree. I think it's become much better. And here's why. I think the enemy is now fully identified. And we have these conversations every day. When I walked on that stage, and remember a few minutes later, I, I broke it down into three categories. One, uh, about uh, putting in the uh, the economic nationalism in, in the economy. Number two was America first national security policy. And number three, wait for it, deconstruct the administrative state. Yeah. And, then, and the media goes, what is he talking about? And of course, all the people at CPAC and the bib overalls, they're high-fiving and, and know exactly what it is. Look, right now in Congress, we have Trumpified Congress. We, we, we have MAGA. This is a MAGA house. Yes, you have moderates. You have some of the old Republican Party. 
but every day, you know, even as we speak, uh, you know, uh, here the other day you, you had uh, you had Omar booted after this, uh, you know, after this very dramatic presentation by AOC and all these, you know, left wing Democrats. We're on the march everywhere. We see now the fight is much tougher instead of hiding behind a dossier or or or, uh, or, or Comey. They're up in your face. They're arresting, you know, Mark Hoke. Yeah. Uh, got arrested with 35 state troopers and FBI guys with their guns pulled to drag him out of his house after saying the rosary. The battle's very pitched, but this is how battles are. Remember, in World War II, since we're near the 80th anniversary of Stalingrad, World War II was not the good war. Don't believe that aspect of it. Yes, we, we, the, the greatest generation were fantastic. But when you look at the real war, you look at the in totality of the war, it went up in levels of annihilation, and it was so brutal, so inhumane, so um, you know over the top as far as destruction goes. And that's how war goes. Right now, we're in another yeah. phase of this war, and it's, it's so yes, it, it is um, is it tougher now? It is tougher than than because they were so shocked by President Trump winning, they didn't think we were going to win. We snuck up on them. Well, this is, now, this is the point. No, 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 this is the point that it's worse because in fifteen. They didn't take us seriously. They thought this was a joke. They thought this was a, a promotional gag they, they, for President they, Trump. They, they uh, didn't take they didn't take us seriously on the evening of the morning of the ninth when we won, Seb. And they, <laughs> you know, for transition, you were there, and we first got there. They didn't take us seriously. Right. They didn't take but 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 now, but now but now the target has been identified and yes. the guys in the ceramic plated you know armored vests with the M4s are raiding Mar-a-Lago. So so the boldness of the permanent bureaucracy, the administrative state, state is is the worst it's ever been, Steve. Because the gloves are off now. Okay. The gloves. Are off. All right. But, that, but, but in that in that regard, that's I think is the beginning of victory. Because people are going to sit there and go, I didn't sign up for this. These people are out of control. Is it going to be tough? Is it going to, we're going to have to convince people. We're going to have to show them. But every day, whether it's the vaccines, whether it's the, 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 uh, the, the um, invasion on the southern border, whether it's the Federal Reserve being out of control with, uh, with, the, with the printing of the money, right, or this out of control spending, whether it's, the, it's this, uh, you know, this out of control situation in Ukraine, you can pick everything and remember when they knew we were serious, Seb, is when you guys worked, you worked at the National Security Council and came out with Trump's first national security doctrine and strategy for the first time, said the CCP is a is, is a national threat. And our primary thing is to focus on great power conflict. Right. We got back out of the jihad. That's when the deep state said, hey, these guys are serious about taking on China. Uh, and, uh, and and we got to We got to thwart them every step of the way. So, no, I think if you go back and look. We're winning all the time. These wins are very tough, and they come at a high cost. But if you want to take your country back, you want to turn it back into a constitutional republic, this is what has to happen. All right, last question before we transition to the uh, civilizational issues. Uh, you, Whenever I come on your show and I, I interview you, I, I, I try and ask you about the personnel issue because it's not a joke. You know it as well as I do. When we walked into the White House, there were less than 20 of us in senior positions who were true MAGA, understood what America first meant, and wanted to be loyal to the vision of those who elected the president. Um, half of those people aren't going to come back because they're sane. So you say people are working on personnel. I've talked to Mark Meadows. I've talked to others. I don't see real traction being built on personnel to fill those four thousand positions. Am I wrong, Steve? Yeah, I think so. I think that, I think. Tell we, me, I think, get, tell, tell me what's happening. 
No, I think behind the scenes, you've got many of these groups. You've got this one group uh, that's been started that is former Trump people and people that are associated with Trump that are getting people in kind of verticals and expertise in their expertise areas uh, to, to work on this. Look, it's not do we have to fill the 4,000 billets. And let's just take, I think, the 3,000 that are non-Senate confirmed to fill those 3,000 billets. Do we have 3,000 people signed up right now and doing this? The answer is no. But are there people that we're building to this? Yes. And I don't think – I think we'll have the – I don't think we're going to have a problem, Seb, in putting landing teams, you know, landing teams, beachhead teams, and fully putting in the different cabinet positions and not just that, walking in with you guys in a, in a full contingent either the Pentagon if you go there, the intelligence agency if you go there, or most importantly, the National Security Council. So, no, I feel on that level – I feel that we're getting the work done. And, and remember, you're going to have more and more people sign up and come on board when it looks more evident to some outsiders that President Trump is not only going to win the nomination, but going to uh, rewin the White House. And I well, think you're going to. We, we have to build it now. And he needs a serious chief of staff. I don't see that right now. Uh, maybe I'll ask you later about how relations are between you and our former boss. But let's transition. In the meantime, it's. I think I think the relations are great. I think he's a huge. I think he's a huge. Uh, fan of the war room. I, I think if you, see, if you see those videos he does, I would say uh, that content's pretty consistent with the war room. You could, you could plug you could plug Trump's videos in and he could be co-host. <laughs> I think, by the way, I think the videos are very strong. I mean, I think you're seeing the They're getting better. They're getting better. The transgender yeah. one was superb. Yes, and I think you're seeing that he's coming out every couple of days. He's kind of into it. It's a couple of minutes long, and that's all you need. Just put it out there. Let's. You're starting to build policy, and you'll build people around that. So I think we're. I think we're in a. And by the way, I thought Saturday, I thought the speeches and the content part was very strong. I think you're starting to see some policies develop. Look, he's taken the boldest policy of any national figure on the Ukraine war. I mean, Ukraine war is crickets. You're not really having a debate up here. Which All right. I can- yeah, I, I wanted to transition. But on this, I've got a, one last question. And, and it's warroom.org. I'm on there every Thursday with Steve. Uh, I keep getting this on my social media, on Truth Social, on Twitter, you know, the Hobbit saying, oh, my gosh, but he's so pro-vaccine and he's losing the base. I think that's a misrepresentation. He never forced the vaccine on anybody. Is this an issue he's going to have to address in the next few months? Yeah, the New York Times quoted me the other day in this huge article, Jonathan Swan and others wrote, I said the vax is going to be a, a, a big issue. And President Trump didn't put any mandates in there. He fought against those yeah. mandates. It was all after Biden. However, I think we have to, uh, I think people have to appreciate the fact that Two-thirds to 75% of the MAGA base is not vaccine-hesitant anymore. They're anti-vax. You know, this has gone through an arc. And as we, you know, our book now is number three, I think. We've sold 10,000 copies of this, of this, just the research we've done uh, with Naomi Wolf. We sold 10, they told us today we've sold 10,000 copies of this, just self-publishing it and putting it up on Amazon. And this is all the research reports on Pfizer. So no, I think that the entire situation on the vax, and most importantly, what's the plan going forward, right? What's the plan going forward? President Trump never forced anybody to take the vaccine. He was he was long gone before that stuff ever, before Biden and these guys ever got there and got to the mandatory vax. I also think, you know, DeSantis hasn't been totally, you know, upfront. I think you can look at DeSantis, the arc with DeSantis all change when Dr. Uh, Lapido came on. Yes. Uh, the, 
great doctor from Harvard. He, he's an extraordinary individual, and I hope that uh, I know he's very close to, to, to Ron DeSantis, and they've been a terrific team down there. I would hope he would be very open to be either head of HHS or Surgeon General under President Trump, because I think he's one of the most gifted guys in the country. And even the arc of DeSantis, you can see change when Dr. Lapido got there. And so is this, but is we, this... have to, we have to work through the vaccine situation. But because... he, he has to say something. Well, I don't know if he has to say something, but I think I think first off, just drop it saved 100 million people. I think that's that's got to be we should drop that and, and kind of move on to the next topic. Is but the name guys, wolf thing? Is it the <laughs> is it the bodies of others? Is that what you're talking about? Is that the name? No, 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 no. That's Naomi's personal book. If you go to Amazon, you'll see the War Room Daily Clout Compendium of the I think it's called the Pfizer Research. Here, here's what happened. Pfizer, the FDA ruled. And I think it was after President Trump was around, but the FDA made a decision that all the Pfizer documentation and all the research they were doing around the uh, the vaccine was uh, would be sealed for 75 right. years. Like 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 the Kennedy, as you remember, the famous phrase from Earl Warren about the Kennedy files, not in our lifetime will we know this because the files will be sealed for 70, 75 years. A, a, a individual. In fact, I think it's Adele Bigtree and his crew and his crew took that to a federal court and got a federal judge to reverse it. That opened up all the research they had done on this vaccine on humans, all the testing, I think, on humans and, and also mice and, and monkeys and things, primates, things right. like that. That That is now a compendium, and I recommend everybody get it and read it. Your head will blow right. up. I, I've got it right now. It's called Pfizer Documents Investigation Team, or it's by them. It's War Room Daily Clout Pfizer Documents Analysis Reports. All Here's right. what happened. We ought to get Naomi on your show. 3,500 of the War Room Posse volunteered. What wow. happened is we had wow. this. It had to be crowdsourced. They volunteered. Naomi's team, Amy Kelly, put together a group of professionals and doctors and specifically lawyers, about 250 lawyers. And they've gone through here. They've put out now 54 reports. And they're pretty brutal. But it's just off the facts are in the Pfizer documents so it's a it's a pretty brutal and and people have a huge appetite for this yeah they do he's former chief strategist to the 45th president of the united states he is the scourge the honey badger scourge of the deep state there's a reason why thanks to steve we understand that products like this i am shamelessly going to plug jointly with chris plant we came up with i've got to get steve one of these is the hottest selling item on our website, the FBI, oh. the Fascist Bureau of Intimidation. We can't print these fast enough. Steve, you will be receiving one at the embassy imminently. All right, guys, let's roll. Let's do it. The Manhood Hour. Roll tape. It's really fun to dedicate an hour each week to the celebration of toxic masculinity and how it has built Western civilization because we get to pick all kinds of guests, whether it's former SEALs like Jack Carr, the author of The Terminal List, whether it's Victor Davis Hanson, or whether founders of Delta Force like Jerry Boykin. And sometimes we go out of left field and we say, yeah, there's a guy who 
Hmm. He fights until the bitter end, and I'm sure he's got something to say about it, whether it is related to the fourth turning or not. My former colleague, my former superior at Breitbart and in the White House, former chief strategist to the 45th president of the United States, host of The War Room, Steve Bannon. Welcome to the Manhood Hour. Thank you. Uh, Honored to be here. All right. So you know my wife, Katie. She was a presidential appointee at DHS. She uh, she helped me birth this special we do every week on America First. And I have five questions from the boss that I will give to my former boss. First question is masculinity is manhood under assault in Western civilization? Well, there's no doubt. The the father, whether it's the Catholic Church is teaching now to 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 go basically against the father whether it's the you know the liberal the progressive part of the catholic church all civilization is is focused on getting the father out of people's lives and we've seen this the results of that in 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 young boys right in the the crisis we have and and it, it's difficult it's difficult to raise boys in in this modern world and you've seen the uh, the focus on taking men out of out of uh, boys lives and i also think that there's on the reverse I think there is a cartoonish what Hollywood and the left have put up is a cartoonish ver, cartoonish version of manhood, kind of the superhero uh, comic book uh, Rambo type of manhood, which is not to me what what masculinity is not. Right. It's 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 a much more complicated and uh, and, uh, uh, you know, you know it when you see it. But I think they put in a version that also takes these young boys that are fa- essentially fatherless. And let them look up to an ideal that's really not not real and not and not uh, productive and not healthy. Now, what is the locus, to use a military term? What what is the center of gravity for this assault? Now, you're an expert on the new left, the Frankfurt School, the Alinskyite tactics. There are so many vectors of attack against uh, the the masculine ideal that built Western civilization. Where do you put the Clausewitzian center of gravity? Is it the schools, the universities, the media? Is it TikTok? Is it is it the is it the remnants of of the Frankfurt School? I think those are all manifestations. I think when you talk about masculinity, you have to pull back. And I said this, I think, also in a Bloomberg interview a couple of years ago after one of the Golden Globes. The fo- this was at the Me Too and the, and the Time Out movement. The, the, the focus, and it's not that guys didn't do terrible things, and they did do terrible things, is that um, this was to get rid of the patriarchy. In this regard, I think it's actually broader than the Judeo-Christian West. I think there's an overall assault of where uh, intellectually they think that these societies that are patriarchal are inherently systemically evil and that that patriarchy, that it's the patriarchy, it's, it's, the, uh, it's the, um, uh, the whole issue of man and manhood that has to be taken on and destroyed. And the manifestations of that you see in, you know, whether it's education, whether it's in um, in in current uh, popular culture, television, whatever you wanted to say, right? Uh, you you see it throughout there. So no, I think it is a an assault on the patriarchy, and what they do is identify this thing called toxic masculinity, and the, and they go after it, you know, hammer and tong, and what you end up with. Remember that commercial? You we were at Breitbart at the time during Obama's year. They had Pajama Boy. Yes. Remember Pajama Boy is the perfect example of what they identify as a male. Right. Pajama was sitting in his pajamas, eating his yogurt, uh, talking about, I don't know, his health care, 
whatever. It was some Obama ad, but uh, Pajama Boy was a thing there for a moment. Pajama Boy is what the the people that are anti the patriarchy uh, epitomize as a uh, as the perfect, you know, the beta male, and that's what they want. So now I think it's a, a broad, and I think the center of gravity is that, and you see it manifest in, in many different ways. But is there is there an organizational center of gravity? Is it Hollywood? Is it Palo Alto? Is it the teacher training colleges? If if you had to concentrate fire on one entity ideologically, where would you get most bang for your buck in, in weakening this this whole construct? To get to the culture and to get to the, the production of content, I think you got to go back to the railhead. I think the railhead are the universities, the teaching schools, and also the philanthropic groups that provide the intellectual content for that. I think that's where you see the most uh, vitriol come from, right? And it's the most embedded because of the tenure system and what's happened to the universities. That's why virtually all the universities in the country, even universities in red states, you know, the 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 universities of the University of Texas or uh, in these, uh, you know, these other states outside of maybe Alabama and some, you know, University of Alabama. So fantastic that you have the assault there. So I think it very much comes from academia and from the think tanks around that. And then that spreads out that spreads out into the creative, the content creation of television, of movies, of writing and the magazines and the newspapers and everything. That's so my look, I'm not an expert. Andrew was an expert in Frankfurt School. It's not my line of country, right? I'm more geopolitics and finance. But as I see this, I see that that is the locus. And I think if you had a if you had and I think Ron DeSantis, this is one of the reasons DeSantis is you know is a he's a, a hedgehog, not a fox, right? Explain. Uh, explain. Well, that was, I think it was Isaiah Berlin. They had they had that great concept about there are two types of people that get things done. One is a hedgehog that just maniacally focuses on one thing and hammers and hammers and hammers. The other is the, the fox that kind of goes between different things and tries to move it that way. Uh, DeSantis is very focused. And in this regard, he's, I think, going on the same line of attack I would think would be smart. He's gone after not just the elementary school education, the librarians, he's gone to the railhead. He's going to the universities. He's particularly going to the tenure system, and he's taking them on right now. And I think one of the reasons is, you know, he's taking on these AP classes, I think, in African-American studies, but his is going to – he has a lot deeper program. And I think if you look at Ron DeSantis, Ron DeSantis is going where I would go if – uh, if I wanted to kind of shut this down in, in, this, in the shortest way possible, go after the tenure system, go after these woke uh, professors and go after the intellectual, you know, the journals, get, get into all that, the think tanks, how that's produced. And I think DeSantis is, is right in that regard. Foxes and hedgehogs, but you forgot honey badgers, Steve. <laughs> honey badgers are new development. That's a whole different thing. Right. Remember, honey badgers don't give a... Give a hoot. Honey badger, don't give a hoot. All right, let's talk about uh, what it means to you uh, to be a man. What is the essence of manhood? Uh, You've served this nation honorably in uniform. Uh, Here we have a picture of uh, the naval officer, Steve Bannon. You come from a good Irish Catholic family from Richmond, Virginia. I believe your dad was a lineman. Uh, What is your definition? What are the non-negotiables of being a man? I just think it's do your duty. You know, one thing I tell people about, I talk to a lot of young people about going into the military, and, uh, you know, because I say it's the best thing you'd ever do to serve your country. I know more, uh, I know so many wealthy individuals in their 40s, 50s, or 60s that have really made it in life. And every time I talk to them, the one thing they, if they didn't do it, was go and serve their country in that time period of your 20s when you have the opportunity to do it. So I talk to people, and, and when I talk to people, I said, look, the military is not. 
an example, it's not Rambo, right? Rambo is a complete cartoon version of the military. <laughs> the military, if you want to see the military, go watch 12 O'Clock High. Um, you know, watch uh, They Were Expendable with, with John Wayne and Robert Montgomery about taking off, you know, at a corregidor. Th- these are these are uh, individuals who, who, are, who are very quiet, very steadfast, very stoic, but understand what first principles are and, and, and are prepared to make a stand and prepared to sacrifice, whether that sacrifice is all the way up to their own life or any, their career, anything else. And that to me, you know, I was very fortunate to have a father live to 100. He was just a, a blue collar working guy, but it's just that that stoicism and uh, and everything that that goes with it. And so I, when you point to people, I say, if you want to see the version of that, you've got the William Holdens uh, in, in, in Bridge in the River Quiet. You've got Gregory Peck and 12 O'Clock High. These are uh, examples that I always point out of, of people that are what I think is the is the real essence of masculinity. You don't have to be the tough guy walking into the bar like Rambo, flipping things over with machine guns strapped on you and killing everybody. And by the way, you know, in the military, as you know, this train, you've trained so many Marines. And the, the one thing they tell a guy in a thing, hey, he's, you know, a, a guy that's called a Rambo, that is not a compliment. No. Because he's going to get people killed, right? No. He's going to get people no. killed. The, the, and, the, guy, the guy who straps the machine gun belt on his body is not the guy who knows how to use a machine gun. He is the host of The War Room, warroom.org. I'm Sebastian Gorka. This is America First, the manhood hour. If you enjoy the show, make sure you are subscribed. Go to Spotify, plug in my name, Sebastian Gorka, America First. It's absolutely free. Leave us a five-star review and share the links with your friends because that is how we recapture not just America, but our civilization. Who, who influenced your understanding of what it means to be an adult man? It, it's my father. Yeah, that's the, I think that, look, I've had the opportunity to meet so many power players and, and so many wealthy individuals, my banking career, Hollywood, the government and, and now what I do. And the biggest single thing and the biggest, most important influence in anybody's lives. I've seen so many wealthy people with screwed up families, kids that are on drugs that just it is that family unit of sitting around the table every night. Uh, having dinner and talking, and, and from a very early age, I know you 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 idolize your dad too, and and that is worth all the money in the world. I mean, I tell people all the time, it's you know the Georgetown education, the Harvard education, the Navy, Goldman Sachs, all that, that's nothing. The formation, you know, the formation of of yourself is going to come at a very early age. Nothing will replicate uh, that father and the people that had the opportunity. And here's the problem today. The problem today is that. Fewer and fewer people in society have that have that opportunity, and 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 that is something that um, it it just it, it it's a lasting imprint on you that will last for the rest of your life. So no, my father is a uh, my father's always been my role model and just the guy that I looked up to him because it was those little things done you know day in and day out. He really gave up you know playing golf and all the great things that he loved he gave up to raise five kids and you know at the he was incredibly happy with it. a very loving happy you know large family but it's those things are i've met the wealthiest people in the world and trust me i think they would trade that all off yeah. to yeah. have a happy family you know was a dust is a tolstoy dostoevsky says all ha- happy families are the same and every unhappy family is unhappy in their own unique way mm. and I think it's very powerful. It's a very true statement. One of the things both my son and my daughter said to me is, 
that they appreciate, and this kind of surprised me because of, of how articulate they were. They said they appreciated my setting boundaries, that for them in their development, it was crucial that, that their father set boundaries for them, and they were very appreciative of what I did, that we could have a, a successful uh, you know, home here in America. What, kind, what kinds of specific things come to mind? You talked about stoicism, but when you think of your, your late father now, uh, what kinds of specific things you say, oh, my gosh, now I understand, and I'm grateful for that? I think it's, it's, a, it's a Hindu term I always refer back to called dharma, which is really your duty in, in your station in life, what your purpose is, what your task, your purpose, your duty is kind of a complicated term. Um, and it, uh, it's just, it's the, it's the little guy. It's the stoic householder. It's the thing that civ- our civilization has always been built. Edmund Burke called it the, the, was the, the little platoons of the, of the average person. You know, in one regard, he was a completely average person. In another regard, he was an extraordinary person. But in his extraordinariness was in a modern age, everything was sacrificed for the family. Everything was sacrificed for his wife. Everything was sacrificed for his uh, children. And that was his dharma, right? That was his task, his purpose, his duty. Uh, and uh, and it, he fully saw that through to the end. And that's why I tell people, I said, when you see those little things, you look back and you reflect back over your life. When you reflect back over, it's those very small moments you have with your family, with your, with your, with your father or your mother, that are the ones that you realize in, in, in the many years hence, you look back and you go, those are the most important moments. Those are the things I really learned something. That was a teaching moment that I didn't even know was a teaching moment. So I think that is the, the most powerful. And I think it's, it's like I talk about lived Christianity or just live your beliefs. You see that day in and day out, and you see that in that sacrifice of giving oneself, of putting one ego aside, and really giving it for that small unit. Because remember, <laughs> life's, life's a struggle, life's a war. The family is small unit combat, right? It's the family <laughs> against the world. And, you know, it, who, who, in a small unit— Everybody's got to give some. That's what I'm saying. In if you watch Twelve O'clock High, which is at Harvard, at Harvard is the one film that's that's shown to you about about small unit combat, um, and it's very telling about the sacrifice you have to make and some of the things you don't think are the sacrifice. Um, some of the things you think would be for the betterment of the group, it turns out it's not for the betterment of the group. You have to really understand that. And I think the family. Remember, there's a war against the family right now. The family is in small unit combat. And that's why the mom and the dad have to work together as partners. And, you know, you've got the you, you'll you'll reflect you'll send that uh, you'll send that message to your to your children. And then they will pass that on uh, for the next generation and then the generation after that. Now, that's the now, that's the unbroken chain of the Judeo-Christian West. Now, now sacrifice is, 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 you know, the pillar of Christianity, what our Savior did for us and what we do for our fellow man. Uh, you're very outward with your Catholic faith, faith. You have a crucifix on the mantelpiece behind you when you're hosting War Room. Uh, I'm curious, was your, uh, was your father's faith obvious or was it acquired internalized Catholicism? It was it was everything he did was quiet. But no, it was a uh, he, he was really his formation was by uh, women, mainly. The, they had French nuns that he was raised in a town at the time. Norfolk was kind of a missionary uh, area. Virginia was very uh, Protestant, uh, not very Catholic. So they had nuns, Belgium, uh, French Belgium nuns that came over first to South Bend, where their con- their mother house was. And then they came down to his parish and formed a school, those nuns had a lasting impression on him. His mother was a convert, being Southern Baptist, 
she converted to marry my grandfather, and she became a ardent Catholic. I mean, almost like a daily communicant. Um, and uh, no, he had a very the the church was everything to him. So he was, and we were altar boys growing up and choir boys and, and all that. The church was a central part of our uh, the the old church was was a central part of it. He was also we were Latin mass. A family. As soon as the Latin Mass was allowed back, I think in the 70s, after Vatican II took it away, I think in the early to mid 70s, I was in the Navy then, or essentially gone. They they had a parish that became a Tridentine Catholic parish, and when I would come back and visit, we'd go to that. So no, the, the his faith was quiet. I mean, he was not he was not churchy, and he was not beating. You know, he was not evangelizing the people, but the the church and his religion was central to his being and to his life and to his dharma. That's fascinating. My my father was a, a, a hardcore Catholic, cradle Catholic. That's what kept him sane in, in communist prison in Hungary. He married a Calvinist, my mother, and uh, he was so <laughs> he was so pissed with Vatican II. He became like you know he was on the cusp of being a Lefebvreist. So you know that that was my father. Well, very interesting. Say that the the, the uh, Catholic United for the Faith. My parents became that close to being was a bishop, Archbishop Lefebvre. Lefebvre, Lefebvre, yeah. Yeah. They yeah. and the only reason they pulled back is that because of the, the whole issue about excommunication. That's how ingrained it was. But they began to come. They the first thing they ever did really of politics, because they were not political people, was really the church had gotten, particularly during the Vietnam War, and in America had gotten so far they felt off the track that they started to go and they almost went to the. Uh, I think a parish actually in in Richmond was formed. I'm not so sure how long it left. When when Lefebvre came, I think it was to Houston, Texas, and uh, he came, I think he came to the United States and actually ordained some priests, yeah. which was yeah. fairly controversial. My parents were very close. Then the Vatican started easing up. That's when they gave, it was Lefebvre that really got us back to Latin Mass here. It was, his, it was his controversy. So they, these, <laughs> these were, we call them traditional Catholics, my mom and dad. Were very. I mean, look. I was an altar boy. I was doing. You know, I was uh, serving mass, and when it was when I, you know, you were in a roster. But I would serve mass, the early mass daily, in Latin. You know, my brother was a. My brother was one of the senior altar boys, and and really was there much more even than I was. I was kind of a grundoon before the Latin mass ended. But we were taught the Latin mass, and we would go serve the. I think it was the six and the seven. They had a six, seven, and eight on our parish. I think every day. That tells you how much the church has changed. They would have three masses every day, and you'd have people there. It wasn't they weren't packed, but you would have, and you would see the same faces there every day. I think our parents would have liked each other. We're talking to Steve Bannon, host of the War Room, WarRoom.org. My Pillow is having their biggest sheet sale of the year. You all have helped build My Pillow into the amazing company that it is today. Now, Mike Lindell, my buddy, the inventor and CEO, wants to give back to my listeners. The Percal bed sheet set is available in a variety of colors and sizes, and they're on sale. For example, the queen size is regularly $89.98, but now for you, just $39.98 with your listener promo. Order now because when they're gone, they're gone. The Percal sheets are breathable and have a cool, crisp feel. They come with a 10-year warranty and a 60-day money-back guarantee. Don't miss out on this incredible offer. It's a limited supply, so be sure to order now. Call 1-800-829-8468, promo code Gorka, or just go to MyPillow.com, click on the radio list of square, and plug in G-O-R-K-A. That's 1-800-829-8468, or MyPillow.com, code Gorka. 
What is it that, you know, we, we see what's happened, the transgender agenda, we see the assault on, on normal masculinity. What is it we must be teaching the next generation? The, what is the essential curricula for boys today, the non-negotiables that must be imparted to them to inoculate them against this assault against manhood? You know, I was very fortunate that it, when I was, I don't know, 12 years old, 13 years old, uh, I went to a military uh, prep school uh, run by the Benedictine monks. And Are there, you kidding it, me? Are you kidding me? Huh, I spent much, 14 years with the Benedictines in school. 14 uh, flipping years. For, for, uh, my grammar school was Benedictine nuns. I, 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 have the, I have the honor of being Benedictines through all the way through grammar school, Benedictine <laughs> Benedictine monks, nuns for the first half, monks for the second, and then to go to Georgetown Graduate School to get the little the Jesuits, right? No, no, no so, yeah, 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 absolutely, yeah. yeah. Totally different. The, the Jesuits, totally different deal. And, and like I said, I went to Georgetown Graduate School when it was still a Catholic university. So um, the um, no, I think it's. I think you have to. It's all about formation. Look, I think it's much more difficult today in today's society to raise boys than it is to girls. And the biggest thing I think happened was Title IX. Here's my father, who was very engaged with the family, et cetera. He was a fabulous athlete and passed that down. My brother's a great athlete. My kid brother's a great athlete. I'm not. I was was a good athlete and tried hard. They were at a different level. They were stars of the team. I was, you know, an average player or somebody that, uh, you know, tried to do their best and and participated and, 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 you know, did all the athletic things. But these guys were really top flight athletes. My sister's just weren't even part of that mix it just at the time. And, and when, uh, and coming up like Maureen, you know, who went to West Point, she essentially went not on a volleyball scholarship, but he was, she was recruited to go to West Point because she was one of the top, you know, volleyball players in the country coming out of the beaches of Southern California uh, and when she was young. And the reason was, is that, you know, all these sports, the fathers were coaching, you know, I coached Mo in every sport, baseball, basketball, I didn't coach soccer, but I mean, she would participate in all these sports and, and these women got into team sport and that's why they're so competitive today. Look, if you're in Washington, D.C. or anywhere, the young women are aggressive. They're smart. They're tough. They're not going to back off They're You know, it's the Natalie Winters and the in the Jane Zirkles and the Maureen Bannons. I mean, these are very focused people. And so I think it's just easier today to raise daughters. And look, it's tougher overall because of this transgender agenda that's come for the last couple that, of years. That's attacking the, the girls, especially the girls, especially. And I think because girls have made so much progress. And I think the biggest thing. The biggest societal change we've had in that is Title IX in women's sports and women playing team sports and their fathers having the opportunity to be engaged to be coaches. I mean, Manhattan Beach, California, where Mo is, which is jock heaven, mother, fathers and mothers. I mean, the dads are, you know, every league Mo had, there were all the fathers were coaches and particularly she didn't, she, I didn't coach soccer and I, she didn't play a lot of soccer. She played some, but you had the dads, they're soccer stars. It was, it's just a whole different deal. I think it's tougher uh, to raise boys today, I just think yes, I think there's so much pressure on them. Now, I do think you see this generation, and I happen to think this this new generation coming up could be like their parents' generation, the greatest generation, because I'm so impressed by the young people I'm seeing coming out of it. But for the families and the parents, you're under assault all, all day long. And this whole thing on the gender ideology, this is a whole radical new deal. You, you, mean, you, you mean the, the, the kids that are going to survive all the insanity of the ideological crush, those ones are the ones you expect great things from? Incredible, yes. Think about, think about it. This is like, 
You know, I made a film called, I think you saw it, Seb, called The Last 600 Meters, which was Michael Pack was the director. Yeah. I helped produce it. And it was about the 600 meters of a rifle. It was about the, it was about the small unit combat in, in Fallujah and Najaf back in, uh, what, 2004, right? First Fallujah and Najaf and second Fallujah. We took that film out, and Michael took it, we took it out to a group of Marine uh, Force Recon of the greatest generation. At the time, this is back in like six, so it was 15 years ago. These guys were all in their 80s or 90s. I, I don't know if many of them are even, some, even alive today. And we show them the film, and one of the guys turns and says, uh, you know, later says, he says, I can't believe the valor and heroism of these kids. It's unbelievable. We can never do that. <laughs> and I go, hang on. I go, whoa, dude, you're at Peleliu. You're at Tarawa. Uh, you're, I said, what are you talking about? I said, you're the greatest generation and you're the Marine. You're the force recon first guys on the beach. He goes, no, no. He says, you're missing, Steve. He says, those guys got to go to the different doors and kick in the doors. And, you know, a thousand what was it a hundred thousand doors in Fallujah. Yeah. One yeah. of the greatest Marine Corps victories, you know, 200,000 rooms with civilians popping up, all that psychological pressure on you. He said, Steve, we hit the beach. You just our our mission was clear cut everything in front of us. If it moved, it was dead. Okay, and we're not going to back up an inch. You're never going to see the yard and back of you ever again. You're going to go across the beach. You're going to go into the jungle. You're going to kill everything in front of you, uh, whether you take prisoners or not. Hey, who knows? Just it's all clear cut in front of you, and then you're going to get on the ship and go to another beach. There's no. It's kicking a, it, down. it was it was a little bit simpler. The 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 uh, the <laughs> metrics of mission success were a tad simpler than the guys going house to house among civilians in Iraq or Afghanistan. We're talking to Steve Bannon. This is the manhood hour. If you have one of these uh, diabolical devices, please tell me it's not linked to the big cell phone providers because they're woke. Go with the only Christian conservative cell phone company in America. It's Patriot Mobile. They're on your side now. They have a performance guarantee. If you're not happy with your coverage, you can switch between the three major carriers that Patriot Mobile is on. They have special discounts for veterans and first responders. You can keep your old number. Don't fund woke corporations with every call you make and every text you send. Free activation with my name. Make the switch today. 972-PATRIOT, patriotmobile.com slash G-O-R-K-A. That's patriotmobile.com slash G-O-R-K-A. Or just call today, 972-PATRIOT. What impacts you every day? There is one book that influences almost every aspect of our lives. Museum of the Bible reveals the Bible's impact on your favorite musicians and artists, the way we measure time, social justice, our national monuments, and more. The Bible's impact is all around you. Discover how at museumofthebible.org impact. Uh, dear friends, don't forget that we are on all social media platforms that matter. Follow us. Never miss a moment of the show. We are on Truth Social, on Twitter, on Facebook, on Parler, on Getter, on Telegram, on CloudHub. You can watch us. We are also a TV show, SalemNewsChannel.com. And for my personal uh, unique access information, unique content, it's the Substack, SebastianGorka.Substack.com. That's my whole name, one word, SebastianGorka.Substack.com. All right, um, Steve, we've talked about, you, you said that, that you're feeling optimistic because those kids that survived the ideological onslaught are going to be, you know, some of the toughest Americans we've ever seen. Uh, last question is, as we stand right now, let's use all of your geostrategic prisms that you, you use every single day in the war room. 
when you look at the assault on Western civilization, on classic roles, male, female, patriotism, America first, do you, are you an optimist or are you a pessimist given what we've witnessed in the last 60 years with the Frankfurt School? Where are you at? I'm an optimist about that because I think, we, I think we've not only turned the corner, I think we understand the preciousness and value of what we're about to lose. And on that level, on that level, I'm actually an incredible optimist. And I think you're going to see a rising young generation of, uh, of real leaders and fighters. Because, because a lot of people have been red-pilled? Red-pilled, yes, exactly. And I think more and more people are becoming red-pilled. And I think they're not and just not and even in getting red pilled, they understand that this is a fourth turning and we could lose everything that on the it's, it's too, still to be determined how this outcome, you know, what how the outcome, how the end of the movie is on this turning. We either be end of the radical, um, the radical um, um, Frankfurt School, you know, cultural Marxist, atheistic. Uh, chaotic society, or we could have the ordered liberty of the Judeo-Christian West. And I'm actually very optimistic because I see the fighters, and I think we win this fight. Where I am not optimistic is something I think even deeper. And I think this that generation I'm talking about, that the fighters coming from, I, I do believe, and I think the evidence is showing that War Room is right, I do believe we're seeing the last generation of Homo sapien among us, and not that we're going to be extinct, you mean you mean with the, the transhumanism? I think transhumanism, and I think you've seen on the AI, just a little tiny piece of AI. And I tell everybody, the little bit of AI they're letting out is to normalize this. What's going on in the weapons labs, what's going on in the research labs, and, and on the convergence of all of it, whether it's quantum computing, advanced chip design, regenerative robotics, uh, CRISPR and biotechnology, nanotechnology, those things, you know, we've talked about, uh, Seb, basically the top five or six of the uh, made in China 2025, that just being random, right? Um, those convergence are in a singularity. I think within the lived experience, um, maybe not our generation, but maybe, but at least the generation back of us will be the end of humo, uh, the, uh, Homo sapien 1.0 will meet Homo sapien plus or Homo sapien 2.0. That is the biggest inflection point in the history of our species. And and you think that's a bad thing, clearly, right? That I'm not optimistic. No, I'm not optimistic because I don't think you understand. Look. Because, because and, we're playing God. Yes. And look, one of the phrases in the, the New Testament that people for years have stumbled about is when early in Mark, I think it's Mark 13 or 14, he sends the disciples and apostles out. He says, look, go take a training mission. You've learned enough. Go out, and they come back, and they've healed the sick, and you know, clear clear the blind, and they come back, and they go, "We did these great things." However, people are saying that you're not God. In fact, you're Beelzebub. You're the devil, and that's all. This is like some sort of magic. And he says, "Hey, don't worry about what people say about me. You just got to do what you got to do. Don't worry about what they call me. You just boom." He said, "In fact, the only eternal sin, the only unforgivable sin, calling me, you know, Christ." things is not a problem that can be forgiven the only unforgivable sin the only eternal sin unforgivable and eternal is to blaspheme the holy spirit and as you know in the judeo-christian west we believe that and if you read the new testament the holy spirit is in completely infusing christ at all moments and i think from john the baptist all the way through the end of the story and um i think that that spirit that makes you truly in the image and likeness of god uh, that we are 
on the cusp of blaspheme of that. And that is Homo sapien 2.0 or Homo sapien plus. All the fur- think of all the f- furor caused by just chatbot GPT, which is nothing. That's just some term papers and and and, and designs. And don't get me wrong, it's going to have a huge impact in college and teaching. But that is such a tiny, tiny element of what's in store for us. And that is just one vertical in the all conversion. Society's not ready for this. So, uh, have, you, our- have you identified any? Uh- provisional nascent inoculation any actor that's prepared to stand in the gap when it comes to this no in fact the closest would be peter Thiel, elon musk and they're actually what i call accelerationists yeah. you're going to have a, a, a you english and you're hungarian but raised in england you know the luddites yeah the famous story of the luddites and we call ourselves now the luddites in fact peter Thiel the other day the difference between accelerationist and luddites this will be a very big line of demarcation but so Thiel's Thiel supposed to be on our side, so he's now a problem. He's 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 supposed to be, but when you realize, like Elon Musk, when you really deconstruct of what they're saying, they're actually accelerationists. I mean, they've had some problems with artificial intelligence or certain aspects of it, but like I said, this thing has got five different verticals that are converging on a point. That points to singularity, okay? They are accelerationists and all the others. I mean, Elon Musk, his main job is not Tesla. And his main job certainly not not uh, not Twitter, which I think is a total misdirection play. His main job is Neuralink, yeah. the human, yeah. the computer human interface. And for, so, for families that are under pressure now with um, with um, the, the whole situation of gender ideology, which, by the way, is a precursor to transhumanism, because once you can just d- decide what your gender is, or you know, do anything you want around your your gender, you know, play girls sports or do whatever, uh, d- identify as this. That is the predicate for transhumanism. One of the predicate. So. It's it's all utterly linked. I think we have to have a separate discussion on just this topic alone. With one of the few people uh, on the planet, not just America, who actually understands geopolitics and strategy. There's a handful of others. VDH, Victor Davis Hanson, of course, is one of them. Ed Lutvak, but we're kind of like oh lord black one of our regular guests here lord black there's not many left so let's have another conversation when steve doesn't have to get back to war room got one more question for him it's going to be political so if you tuned in for the manhood hour you can tune off and go and watch our interview with vdh because i have one question i need to ask my old boss when it comes to what's happening in america today you're listening to america first the manhood hour coming to you from the relieffactor.com studios relief factor pain relief that works pain relief that's real pain relief that is liberating half a million Americans across the nation right now, me included. But it's not just me. It's people like Leah from Ohio. This is Leah's story. One Sunday morning, I sat on my couch in so much pain I was in tears. That's the day I ordered Relief Factor. In eight days, I found relief only to get better and better. I'm a believer 100%. That should be you. That could be you. There's only one way to find out, but it's super easy. Order the three-week quick starter pack at relieffactor.com. It'll be at your door in three days or less. Take it morning and evening like I do, and I promise you, Dr. G's guarantee, by the end of those three weeks, you will know whether it works for you like it works for me Leah and 500,000 of your fellow Americans. You've waited long enough. Do it today. 800-500-8384, relieffactor.com. That's 800-500-8384, relieffactor.com, relieffactor.com. All right. uh, I have the best producer in radio. And before I... Seb, Seb, just one right before we go. Did did you talk to my agent about ripping me off there for the commercial? Oh, the the jacket. 
The bar, no, no, barber jacket and a black. Come on, dude. The no, black hang on, hang on. I am not. I am not in copyright uh, infraction because I didn't have the four pens. If I'd had the four pens, oh. right? Well, I, first of all, I've never seen. I thought Sleb, uh, Seb slept in a suit. I've never. I've known Seb for fifteen years. I've never seen. What is that look? That's a call. My agent. That's a direct lift. I had to. How, how about this? How about this? They flew me. They flew me from here to Seattle to film a 60-second ad, and they had a guy with a wardrobe there dressing me. I felt really weird. I flew 10 hours to film a 60-second ad, and those aren't even my clothes. I uh, Talked to the wardrobe guy. He's a lovely guy. His name was Gerald. I, I could tell. There's no way you own that. Seb <laughs> no, what is this? Seb Gorka sleeps in a suit. I was, I was born in a suit, and I sleep in a suit. All right. <laughs> Last question, because we didn't air it uh, previously. My producer has said, you got to ask him. you got to ask him, because we've got our take here. Ron DeSantis, Vice Trump. Is it artificial? Is it Griffith and his uh, billionaire buddies pumping up Ron to, you know, take down the president? Give us your two-minute take. I think Ron DeSantis is the best governor in uh, the United States. And when Kerry Lake and people I talked to, I, I said, what Ron DeSantis is doing in Florida is extraordinary, and uh, it's to be replicated. President Donald J. Trump is president of the United States, and he's going to win this primary. He's going to be the president of the United States back in, uh, once again for his third term or for the third victory of the second term and to complete our work in January of 2025. And I think, to me, that's the way I look at it. This thing was clearly, obviously stolen from him. We can't let that. I mean, we've got to set things right. And Ron DeSantis has is, is got so many strengths, and there's other people that have strengths. 2028 will be here soon enough. we got unfinished but, but, work. But is there, un- not a, is there not a danger of Ron being exploited as a weapon by the unipartyists and the rhinos? You, you can always already see the, the massive donors and getting it back. And I hope he has the wisdom to think this through. And I hope President Trump has the wisdom... You know, we don't have to go full throttle in this thing, right? This is, we have unfinished, we have such bigger issues in front of us. We have the unfinished work of the Trump first term. President Trump won the second term and won it, I think, going away, not even close. No, 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 no president running again has gotten 12 million more votes. Hey, for the gathers there that got the first, what, 63, I can tell you, that was a lift. To get 12 million more votes is absolutely historic. Donald J. Trump won that election. We've seen the catastrophic consequences on every level, including now in the Ukraine, where, as you know, we're being rapidly sucked into a a major land war in Eurasian landmass. Trump can set things right. Uh, It's rightfully his, and not just rightfully his because of what happened, but he has unfinished work to do. He's the right man for the right time in history. And I don't say that lightly. And I hope we put all the nonsense away and understand we got to put the country first. Let's get this thing done. Let's get it sorted. And 2028 will be long, will be along uh, soon enough for the Ron DeSantis of the world. Let's get this done, Honey Badger style. In the meantime, follow him, warroom.org, wherever you are, whatever you're doing. Keep your head on a swivel, watch your six, hold the line, never give up, never give in, and stay frosty. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. 